Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship. I uh, hope all of you are uh, getting ready for these summer months now that we are past Memorial Day. I wanted to let you know that starting in June, uh, we are going to continue having our online service and we're going to move to one uh, drive-in service at 915 uh, just to try to beat the heat once it starts to get hot. We've been blessed with some good weather, but it's going to start to warm up. And so there'll be one drive-in service uh, starting at 915. And then the board and elders are talking about uh, when we would offer a sanctuary service, which would probably be at 1030. And we'll announce that once we make that decision. Uh, would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our family just got back from a vacation to the beach. That was uh, much needed. In fact, I can't recall uh, for many years now when I was more ready for a vacation, for a break after everything that's been going on uh, over the past a few months. So it was good to get out of town. It was good to be away and spend time with Megan uh, and the children. And now it's good to, uh, to be back. A lot has happened in our nation over this past week. Uh, and I want to begin by saying a, a few words about that. This past Monday, an unarmed African-American man named George Floyd was arrested and taken into police custody. Uh, most everybody has now seen this video on the news of what happened after he was in custody of the Minneapolis police, but one of the officers put his knee on Floyd's neck uh, for about eight minutes and didn't stop. Uh, Floyd told him he couldn't breathe. There were bystanders who were there who were saying he can't breathe, he can't breathe, but the officer didn't stop and ultimately uh, George Floyd lost his life. This has caused outrage across our nation because this isn't the first time that this has happened. And this kind of stuff needs to come to an end. I still believe that the vast majority of police officers are good and they try their best to serve their communities and they do so very well. But this situation has now escalated into riots in many of our American cities. Police stations in Minneapolis have been set on fire. Buildings and businesses have been burned to the ground. Looting is happening. And this situation has very quickly gotten out of hand this week. I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you this morning in light of this situation, and in no way do I intend for these uh, observations to be controversial. What can we do as Christians during situations like this in our nation? How can we help make our society better and healthier? We can recommit ourselves to working against racism and discrimination because it's wrong, and it's always been wrong, and we must speak out against it. The church must speak out against injustice in our society because there is a direct correlation between justice and peace. 
And the Old Testament prophets make that very clear if you read their words. We must also remember that there is a difference between peaceful protest and horrific acts of violence. People are upset, and rightfully so, but that doesn't give them permission to go and burn cities and put the lives of innocent people at risk. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said that you don't respond to violence with more violence. If you watch TV, there are many African-American police officers who are putting their lives at risk to try to maintain order in these cities. And we cannot have a society where unarmed black men are killed in police custody, and we cannot have a society where people just get to go out and do whatever they want. Both of these things are wrong. And lastly, as Christians, we, we should not be afraid and we cannot be afraid to talk about the systemic injustices that are present in our culture. They are there and they need to be discussed. They need to be addressed. Because if we don't talk about them and if we pretend that they're just not there, then we can't address them. And so we cannot ignore these things. And as a church, we must continue to work to address these things. And we do on a regular basis here at Woodmont, but we must continue to talk about systemic injustices that are present in our culture. I pray for the family of George Floyd. And I also pray for all the leaders in Minneapolis and in other cities, the mayors, the governors, the police force that are having to deal with these riots and this looting and these horrible acts of violence. And I pray that as a society and as Christians, we will have the courage to speak out against racism, against injustice, against poverty, and against any other injustices that are real in our culture. We are continuing a sermon series on the book of James. And last Sunday, Justin gave a great sermon focusing on the words from James chapter 3, where James talks about the importance of taming the tongue and why our words matter. And this becomes a major theme in this epistle that James writes, controlling our words, watching our rhetoric, and recognizing that our words have power and consequences. And, and these verses in chapter 3 and then next week in chapter 4 are very relevant to the situation uh, that's going on in our nation right now. James says, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. Have you ever noticed how in our culture, some people seem to get a sick satisfaction when leaders fail? This happens in churches. When people say, I told you that that guy was a fraud. I told you that he couldn't live up to everything that he, that he preached and taught. 
You know, this calling is very hard because not only do we stand up here and, and, and teach and preach what we believe to be true and what the Bible teaches to be true, but then we have to go out and do our very best to live it and not just talk about it. And I said a few weeks ago that the very best sermon that any of us can preach is the way that we live our lives, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we treat other people, the way that we interact with other people. I love what Headmaster Tony Jarvis once said about leadership. He said, throughout history, people have gotten a perverse pleasure out of bringing leaders down, projecting evil motives onto them, focusing on their faults, finding their Achilles heel, impugning their motives. And so he says, leaders are caught in a catch-22. If a leader is strong and undeterred by projection and blame and calumny, he is labeled as arrogant, authoritarian, and dictatorial. But if he sets aside his initiatives or her initiatives, it goes with the way that the wind is blowing, if the leader backs down at all, then he or she is immediately labeled as weak or as a waffler. You know, James is very clear that, that leaders and teachers are judged with greater strictness. He's also very clear that the human tongue is perhaps the smallest yet most powerful member of the body. He says it's like the rudder of a ship. It's small, but it's powerful. The tongue is a fire. It's placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, James says. Nobody can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Do we really understand the power that our words have? With the same tongue, we can say, I love you, and we can also say, I hate you. With the same tongue, we can say, you look beautiful, and we can also say, why did you wear that? We can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And we can also say, it's not my fault, it's your problem. We can say, it's okay, sweetie, I understand. And we can also say, what's wrong with you? You always screw things up. We can say, it's okay, I forgive you. And we can also say, I, I can't believe that you did that, or I can't believe that you said that. You see, our words have power. But unfortunately, we don't spend enough time thinking about what we are saying, why we are saying it, and how we are saying it. Our tone matters. The way we say things matters. You know, too many times we don't rein in our emotions before we speak. Too many times we let the moment get the, the best of us. We don't filter our thoughts. We shouldn't say everything that goes through our mind. We must decide when to speak and when to keep quiet. The end of chapter 3, James moves on to the subject of wisdom. He says, show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, it's devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. See, James is making it clear that there are certain emotions and behaviors that we need to avoid in life. These emotions typically result from being in an unhealthy place. 
They are unwise. They are destructive. I would even call them toxic. So let's talk about these today. The first emotion that he identifies is bitter envy. Envy usually begins when we are ungrateful. Ingratitude is a major problem in our world because people, for whatever reason, feel entitled. We take our blessings for granted. The basic blessings of our lives, our health, our family, our job, our church, our friends, our home, our food, water, clothing, health care. We take these things for granted. But not only do we take these things for granted, we are hardly ever satisfied in life. We always want more. We always want bigger and better. But we see that somebody else has a nicer house or a nicer car or a better job or what we perceive to be a better life. And we feel inadequate. We become envious. And, and this becomes a spiritual problem, a matter of the heart and soul. One time in my men's Bible study a number of years ago, we were talking about the American dream. And we were talking about the American dream and trying to identify it and define it. You know, what is it? Is it, is it, is it the house with a white picket fence and the kids playing in the yard? Is it simply giving your children a better life than, than you had? Is it the opportunity for upward mobility and, and prosperity? What is it? How do we understand it? And, and is it available to everybody? Or is it only available to people that are born into certain families or certain zip codes? I've always said that when it comes to the American dream, there's one word that comes to mind, and that word is more. We want more. We're hard to please. We're restless. We see what everybody else has, and we want more. We are a competitive culture wired to want more. But have you ever noticed that the people in our culture that are most spiritual, most disciplined, monks, nuns, priests, um, they have found a way to shun all of that, and they've decided to go and live simple lives. They've made an intentional decision to be thankful for the basic things. They understand the pitfalls of materialism and of always wanting more because that desire never wins. Somebody once said, I think it was Rockefeller, who said it's, it's like drinking salt water. It just leaves you thirstier and thirstier. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that have to do with, with giving thanks, and we can't ignore these words. Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 118 says, This is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. James 1 says, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And then in Philippians, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we know that these verses are powerful, and yet we still fail to be grateful so often. We still find ourselves being envious of other people and, and what they have. Maybe it's because we live in a culture that says enough is never enough. Maybe it's because we're always 
bombarded with advertisements that say you deserve more and you deserve more right now. It's a world of instant gratification. It's a world of get it now and pay for it later. It's a world that says, you know, you know, you deserve more than you have. And then we say, yeah, you know what? I do. I do deserve more right now. It's a world of social media where people are looking at the highlight reels of other people's lives and saying, why can't I do that? Why can't I be that? But we forget that those are just the highlights. That's not a full picture of life. You know, the first day we were on vacation, I was sitting by the pool and I was um, thinking about everything that's been going on with COVID-19 and with all the things that have been changed and affected. And, and um, I played with my kids a little bit, but I was kind of back sitting uh, by myself. And, and Megan said, you know, you've got to enjoy them while they're young. And she was right. We have to enjoy our lives while we live it. And even right now with the pandemic still going on, there is a lot of life that is happening and there are a lot of things that are being missed out on, but we have to enjoy our lives every step of the way because life moves fast and children go up fast and, and, and the present is all that we have. Andy Stanley wrote this great book called Enemies of the Heart and he talks about envy in it and he says, There'll always be someone who's richer, skinnier, more talented, better connected, or just plain luckier than you. And until you find a way to deal with your jealous heart, you'll be unable to follow the most basic of all Christian tenets, love one another. He says, envy is a powerful force and it can wreak irreparable damage on any relationship or any organization. You know, we all experience envy. We, we all see things that we wish we had. But we need to count our blessings. We need to stop just looking at other people's lives and saying, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. We need to be thankful for the things that we do have because we have a lot. And not only do we need to be thankful, but we have to express our gratitude and vocalize our gratitude we have to tell the people in our lives that we love them and that we appreciate them and that we don't take them for granted. You know, we should make up our minds right now that we're going to focus on the good, that we're going to give thanks to God for the many things that we have, the blessings that we have, that we're going to look for the good in other people. And we're not just going to look for what's wrong with the world. If you look for what's wrong with the world, you'll find it because it's there. It's on the news. It's everywhere. But if you look for what's good in the world, you'll find that as well. And those who are able to look for what's good in the world and give thanks for that are going to live much happier and more content lives. Nobody wants to be around a cynical, pessimistic person all the time because, because that is draining we want to be around people who are grateful and positive and thankful for their blessings. Secondly, James talks about selfish ambition. Ambition in life is not a bad thing. Wanting to work hard, wanting to succeed, wanting to, to progress and move forward, wanting to provide for your family, wanting to move ahead in your career, that's healthy. But selfish ambition is different. Selfish ambition is unhealthy. Selfish ambition is where you are self-centered and you're only thinking about yourself and what you need and what you want. I teach an undergraduate class at Vanderbilt in the fall 
And this past fall, I had a number of, uh, of seniors in the class who were ambitious, and they were excited about graduating this spring and moving on to law school, to graduate school, uh, moving to big cities where they would move into what was in a very red-hot job market. And we know that, that that's now changed. And they have graduated this month into a very different reality. And so I've been thinking about those students and I've been thinking about them over the past few weeks, and I've been thinking, what, what wisdom can we offer uh, these college graduates as they move into a very different world now that COVID-19 has changed our economy and changed the job situation and altered many of the things that, that so many of us took for granted? And so I, I sat down and started to think about this question of what wisdom can we pass on uh, to our young people? And here's some of what I came up with. Life is not fair. So many things in life are out of our control, like the coronavirus and everything that it's upended. But the only thing that we can control is our attitude and how we're going to respond to situations. Remember, tough times will pass just like they have before, but they always give us an opportunity to become stronger. And we will come out of this, and we are starting to come out of this as a stronger and more resilient people. I would tell them to take the time to reflect upon the things that we have learned, because so many times in life we learn things and then we forget it, and we don't turn that knowledge into wisdom, like James is talking about in chapter 3. But it's wisdom that matters in life. Become familiar with the issues that are being debated. This is an election year, and there's a lot that's being talked about. Decide how you feel about health care and immigration and diplomacy and tax policy and border walls and the government's response to the coronavirus. Be informed because a democracy works best when the electorate is informed. Cultivate what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the virtues that we're called to develop in our lives. These are the things that describe whether or not we are a spiritually healthy person with a, with a faith that is alive and vibrant. I would tell them, always live the golden rule. Imagine what it would look, feel like or look like to be on the receiving end of your words and your actions. And then I would say, control your anger. Don't overreact. Anger is always tied to fear. Many things are said and done in the heat of the moment that we can't take back, and so we need to be careful with our temper, careful with how we deal with anger. Those are some of the things that I would offer to graduates this spring, college graduates in particular. What would you say? What would you add to that list? James finishes chapter 3 by saying this, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. That too, I think, is great advice. Those who can work for peace and work for justice in this world, which then leads to peace. 
May God give all of us the strength and the clarity to live by these words that we find in James chapter 3. Amen.